Welcome to the Force Multiplier for Law Enforcement podcast with your host, Lorenzo Valdivia. This is a place where we discuss different factors that give law enforcement officers the ability to accomplish greater feats and tasks than they would without it. We will have unfiltered, candid conversations with those who have knowledge, know-how, and bring what they feel are these different types of variables to help keep our law enforcement on their top game. Enjoy today's show. Welcome to Force Multiplier. I'm your host, Lorenzo Valdivia. And today we have with us Eric from Two Cops, One Donut Podcast. Eric, welcome. And go ahead and uh, let's give a little bit of introduction. Tell about your podcast. and uh, loaded by- So I'm Eric Levine. I run a podcast called Two Cops, One Donut. And the whole idea is to use social media and its platform as a way to bridge the gap between the communication with frontline workers, such as police and the community they serve. And we do that through long form discussion and get to both sides of the the conversation going, those that do the job and the conversation is basically educating on what they do. So if you're a SWAT officer, we'll talk about SWAT. And the idea is that if you never if you never knew what SWAT did and all you knew is what you see in the news, now you'll get, you know, a two, three hour, however long it takes, you'll get an in-depth education on what they do from the perspective of a person that does it. So all of that said, I hope it helps bridge that gap and help bring us closer to the community. So just saying a SWAT is not like we see it on the kind <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> some of it is some of it's not yeah it's one of those things it's not as hollywood as they make it out to look right yeah yeah exactly it's definitely not as sexy as they think yeah it's usually a lot of sitting around waiting oh the guy came out thank you all right we're good now four hours right. after you expected it <laughs> right yeah so well man i appreciate you coming on you know it's kind of looking around and trying to find people that might want to talk cop stuff and especially as it relates to defensive tactics and came across your guys' podcast, reached out and, you know, we started chatting a little bit and what, what is, I don't know, let's talk training a little bit. Okay. From what you've seen, what you've experienced with training, you know, we all kind of see how cops don't really get to train a lot. You know, what do you see out there? Are you seeing anything different? So my I've got a kind of a different view on training. One, I was a, an academy instructor for three years for one of the 12th largest departments in the nation now. And I also was a trainer in Michigan where I was a police officer for a little bit and also a trainer for military police because I'm still in the Air Force. I was active duty from 06 to 2010 and then I switched over to the reserves. So, and I'm a cop for the Air Force. So, It's always been police training, and I can tell you small agencies don't stand a chance when it comes to the training that they need and that's available out there because they just don't have the money and they don't have the resources. So I see a lot of small departments that they get the bare minimum, and even then there's no checks and balances. So there's a state-required minimum, which is terrible. I have yet to see a state required minimum that meets what my standards would be. The department I work for currently, they mandate, the state requires, let's say, 800 hours, and I think it's around 800. The department I work for doubles it. Actually, a little bit over that. They double it. So the training for our academy is almost a year long. Right now, it's about eight months, and it's about to be bumped up about a month and a half more. So what I've seen in training is just, in my opinion, a lack of focus on the stuff that needs to be trained and too much focus on stuff that needs to be put to the back burner until this other training gets accomplished. Gotcha on that one. I was talking to somebody the other day, and we were talking about just that, right? Let's relate this into defensive tactics. My specialty. 
it, it is one of the most, we'll call them allegations that police officers get, right? Use of force allegations, excessive use of force. Thank God for body cams. Hey, well, now we got them. Most yep. departments, but it's something that is put on the back burner, right? Training. Hey guys, we got a budget cut. We're going to, we're going to cut the one thing that we get the most complaints about. Yeah, exactly. And you know, my personal opinion is it's not even necessarily that the officers are doing wrong. The officers are doing what they know. And that's not a lot, right? Yeah. What they've been trained to do. Yeah. And you know, if they were trained a little bit more, you know, maybe this stuff would come down and but, you know, we focus on things like baton, right? Right. You, you know, you've been in law enforcement for a while and, you know. Spend a month learning how to swing a bat. <laughs> and when's the last time you pulled your baton out to right. use it in a self-defense? Not to break a window, not to move a snake, right? Not to knock on a door, <laughs> not to wake a drunk up in his car that's passed out at the drive through parking lot. But yeah, I've never in 17 years of law enforcement, I've never used my baton on a person. Right. Never done it. And use it for dogs. And yeah, and I know people that have used it and it's a, a go-to tool for them, but that's few and far between. And my opinion is that when you start using it as a use of force on a person, it tends to cause you more headache than it's worth, mm -hmm. which we can get into poorly trained officers or hesitant officers are unsafe. Mm. And that's where we start getting into trouble. So if you have a, a well-trained officer who's supremely confident, and I don't want to call it arrogance, I'm calling it, they believe in the training they got. It's not, they didn't know what they didn't know situation, mm -hmm. but if you are well-trained, I've done jujitsu since 06, I don't get worked up. And that's because of that training. I don't get worked up when I get in a use of force. And I still work in the field. I'm a detective now, but I, I'm a field detective. I run a team. We do property crime stuff. So we do buy bus. We do all these different things. So I'm still out in the field. I'm still getting into use of force. But I can tell you, because of my training, it's a game to me. And I'm not saying that in a not saying that in a uh, arrogant way. I'm not saying it in a I don't take the job serious. I'm saying my mind doesn't switch into fight or flight. My mind looks at it as like, all right, dude, like stop. It's like you know, it's like a little kid trying to fight you. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, I, I've been here before. Yeah, because I know where my training's at, right. and I know 99% of the people I deal with aren't equipped to handle the level of training I have. And that's great. That's where I want officers to be at. So I don't know where I was going with that. I just, you got me going down a rabbit hole. No, but, no, man. I, I think it's, it's, you know, you said, you know, it, it's not that, you know, police officers are, are using what they know. And yes. the stuff that they get is very minimal, right? I mean, I was at a department for, oh gosh, I was with them for about two and a half years. And in that two and a half year time frame, but there was a lot of stuff that went down. Police officers or deputies that got injured, corrections that got injured. And we had a two hour training in that two and a half year period. Yeah, it's crazy. And I didn't realize how unprepared I was at my old police job when I first separated from the military. And once I went to the department, major city that I work for now and see how far ahead of the game they are when it comes to training, it really started opening my eyes up. Now the, the saving grace was I was doing jujitsu prior to that. So that helped me. I don't know where I would have been without that. So it goes to show like 
you wonder why you hear about some of these officers to get in trouble, it's one, they're that zero to five-year officer typically when it comes to use of force. And then two, I want you to look at the size of the agency and the type of funding they have. Because as soon as the officer gets in trouble, the first thing they dig into is training. Mm -hmm. So they want to see what training you've had. And on paper, to people that don't know, a 40-hour class for the year looks wonderful. You did your 40-hour annual training, and one small chunk of that has control tactics or defensive tactics in there. And you know how that goes. Nobody wants to get injured. They're all, you know, officers that have been on the job for a little bit, and I'm not getting hurt. Okay, so then they go through the motions. Okay, well, if that's how you train, that's how you're going to respond out in the field. You ain't going to be ready for it. So if you're only doing that once a year, it makes sense why some of these officers are ill-prepared for what they have to deal with when it comes to use of force. And what do you have left? If you don't know what you're doing, you're unconfident, you're unsafe, you're going to escalate to a use of force that probably wouldn't have been necessary had you had the proper training. But because you don't and you didn't know that, you automatically jump to a higher level because you can't handle what you're doing there. Or that thing. What do we have left? Intermediate and deadly force. Or that thing you saw on YouTube or Facebook videos, you're scrolling. What's that? I said, oh, yeah. Resort to that thing that you saw on YouTube or Facebook. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't mind a little Google training. If you can get some good YouTube training and you're not getting anything else, hey, it's it's a start. It's better than nothing, but yeah, yeah. But I want you to have a good base to understand. And I've got all sorts of theories on how to make that better. Yeah, let's talk about them. Well, my first and foremost thing, if we want to talk about use of force, I think it should be mandatory that you have to get a blue belt in jujitsu or grappling. I'm not going to, I think jujitsu is the best because it teaches um, control and manipulation of all the limbs where other types of grappling focuses just on being on top, such as like Greco-Roman wrestling, wrestling in general. Don't get me wrong. Top game is great. But anytime a wrestler, a seasoned wrestler jumps into jujitsu, they're a fish out of water for a little bit. Now they adapt quicker than anybody. So that's what's cool about wrestlers. But in jujitsu, it teaches you how to utilize all the positions. And let's face it, as cool as it would be to be Jackie Chan and always have some sweet moves ready, we're cops. We get complacent. We have bad days. We have poor nutrition, working midnights. We're not always on our A-game. So you need to be prepared for when you're not on your A-game. And that's where jujitsu comes in. It makes you great from the worst possible positions so being on your back having somebody on your back all these things learning how to control how to breathe how not to panic all of these factors that if you know anything about defensive tactics control tactics that's that's the bread and butter so jujitsu being mandatory for two years because that's about the general practice we're talking two to three times a week for an hour or more at a time to get your blue belt from any legitimate BJJ place. So I think there needs to be somewhat of a vetting process. And there's always some officer or somebody trusted within the department that's going to be able to guide you to reputable places. Mm -hmm. So it's one thing to have an idea, but it's another to have a solution for it. One is a lot of departments give an incentive for, let's say, uniforms or an incentive for a PT test every year. Like you got to, my department pays a thousand bucks if you pass your PT test every year. Where do you work at? I need to go. <laughs> I'll tell you offline. <laughs> but um, so you get, there's an incentive to stay healthy, stay fit. Now, is that the greatest incentive? And is the PT test super hard? No, not yet, but it's a step in the right direction. So here's the next step. Rather than offer a uniform incentive for 
rookie to two-year officers. I want your first two years. That incentive money goes towards your membership to the jujitsu place. Mm-hmm. There will be a co-op with your gym. The gym keeps attendance. That's the only requirement they have. They keep attendance and they make sure you're showing up. So when your PT rep or whoever it is that makes sure you're doing all your training, you're, you're, they get all, you know, that place checks in with you. Yep. He made it all these times this month. So you'll have so many classes that you're supposed to hit in that two-year mark. Let's just say it's 100 to make it easy. You have to hit 100 classes. So by the end of the two years, if you hit all 100 classes, cool. You don't have to. You're no longer required to go. You move on to your next level of whatever it is you do. However, if you don't make it, you have an additional six months to get your, you know, to get certified. And then people are going to say, well, what if you get hurt? What if you get this? Anything that happens, if you go on O days, you get hurt, you go on vacation. Um, if you're military, I'm military, so I'm taking my military leave time. Um, those days get accounted for and you just get added on to the end of your year limit. So there's the easy fix. Typically, most jujitsu places I've ever experienced, and I've been all over the nation with these, they're a big proponent of helping law enforcement because just like us, they cringe when they see an officer in a position that's so easily reversible for them, but they don't know what they're doing. They're a fish out of water. And a lot of times you call these jujitsu instructors sharks. And there's a reason for that. Cause when you're going against them, you feel like a shark just keeps keeping you under picking you apart. So, so that is what you do next is you, you get these jujitsu gyms involved because we got to have the community support. So you get the community support from your local gyms, the gyms give back by giving, you know, some sort of discounted rate. Everybody wins because now we have safer officers. They know the jujitsu practitioners and the gym owners know that those officers are going to be more likely to take in a suspect safely rather than doing harm. Because let's face it, if we're not trained and we have to escalate our use of force, the bad guy tends to get hurt. I don't want to deal with the bad guy getting hurt. I don't want them to get hurt. Because as an officer, you know damn well, if the best formula is a peaceful result, right? because it's less paperwork for everybody. There's a lot less money that goes in from taxpayers' money having to do some sort of investigation on you because you got any use of force. So that is my biggest fix for a lot of things. I want a mandatory blue belt in jujitsu. And I know there's people out there that may disagree, uh, but they don't know what I know. They don't have the perspective I have. So is what it is. Yeah, no, and that's fine. You know, I have a little, I'm not going to say I I disagree with you by any means, but I I, I think my view is a little bit different in it, in a sense, kind of go with you, kind of go. Uh, um, against the grain a little bit. So I love jujitsu. I mean, it's, it's asking me a question. What? <laughs> no worries. My dog's throwing up. Yeah. So. <laughs> and, and my view on blue belts, right? Making police officers or into blue belts. I have a couple different things on that is one, I'm afraid of the degrading of the belt by this mass. We got to get it out there to people, right? That, that's, yes. That's why you have to pick a reputable place because right. you got those big, McDojo's out there. Yeah. My second one is what I'm afraid of of departments are going to do is they're going to find reputable places 
where jujitsu doesn't work for law enforcement. And, and what I mean by that is, is we can't make police officers into these jujitsu practitioners. And that's what I'm afraid people are going to try and do, right? We're, we want to make these guys into jujitsu and not find where we can make jujitsu work for law enforcement, right? We don't need police officers out there leg locking people and, you know, doing all these- Sometimes it helps. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it helps. <laughs> and we we got to make sure that it, what's what I'm looking for? It, that it, yeah, it fits, it fits what we do with the duty belt. Yeah. And, and stuff like that. Right. So you got things like GST, Gracie survival tactics. He developed that whole program. I'm an instructor for that. He developed that whole program around police officers. Matter of fact, Henner and them, they've gone through police academies, yes. the full Monty. And that's why I'm really into it. So through, I just went through GST, gosh, three weeks ago, I think it was. Yeah. And I went up into uh, Denver and went with Evandro Nunez and he's actually going to be a guest here on the podcast oh, shit. too. So very cool. Tell him about it. And man, he was all fired up and excited. So that's cool, man. When you get hit, Hen- could sell you, it could sell ice to an Eskimo. He's that kind <laughs> of dude. Like I talked to him. I'm like, I'll buy, I'll buy whatever you're selling, man. He's just good at it. I'll buy that. I'll buy that ocean water from Arizona. For you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now nah, he's a good dude, but you're absolutely right. Part of that fix is taking uh taking whoever the instructors are because like i said most of the time you've got police involved anyway they're already going to a gym or going to that place especially in small towns because you only got one one spot to go typically oh i got here it, yeah <laughs> and so and then, you know like my city i've got like 12 that i can pick from and i can tell you which ones just because i've been around the game for so long which ones i trust and which ones i'm like eh. That's not right. But you get them involved. You get those instructors involved and you tell them like, hey, look, here is what our concerns are. This is what we're looking out for and work with them. You got to be able to work with them. And it's a logistical issue that has to be overcome because at the end of the day, they're going to want some sort of a liability. Like what were you being taught? You know, what were you being taught there? And the argument I always counter with is how many times have you tackled a bad guy. And every cop is like, mm, tackle, you know, one or two or some are like, yeah, tackle them all or whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, were you trained how to tackle in the academy? I guarantee almost nobody's taught how to tackle. You may be given armbar takedowns or bar hammer takedowns or uh, chin tilt takedown, whatever it is. There's certain type of takedowns you're taught, but you are not taught how to, you know, wrap up and take them down. Like in football. Now, there's two leg takedowns, single leg takedowns. These are wrestling moves. But more often than not, in a police academy, you're not taught to tackle. And so, I see a lot of police officers do. So, yeah, and, and, and good for them. You know, right. it, if that is your instinct and you're good at it, great, as long as it works. We're going to get hurt in a fight no matter what. We always do. So, the way that I look at it now is I don't care what the move is. Was it reasonable? Yes. Was was what you did reasonable? The tackle, I tackled it. Well, were you taught that in your academy? We're in your training manual. Does it say you can tackle? Well, it doesn't. But what my training manual does say is any moves that are reasonable for that officer in that moment. So that's the catch-all. So if you want to help other police departments nationwide, I would get that language somewhere in your use of force policy that... You're allowed to use any moves that are reasonable at the time. So that's a protection. Yeah. Well, and it's crazy because the Supreme Court gave that to us, right? Yeah. 
what, what a reasonable police officer would do. It's already there, but yeah, I, I agree with you. They, you know, they try to make these. Oh, we're talking, we're talking policy is one thing to do what's legal. It's another to right. do what policy. Do. But, right. But we can take that same, that, that legal piece and put that into our policy because of the, it's already been set for us uh, yep. instead of making up these force continuums and all this stuff that, you know, so these terms that aren't legal. Yeah. So let me twist your brain a little more. Think about this choke, lateral vascular neck restraint or carotid choke or what's another name? Uh, rear naked choke, sleep or hold, all of these moves, right? Vascular neck restraint. Yeah. Most places that's a no-no. One, because it looks bad, right? Yeah, absolutely. But my argument is you should train every officer on how to do it. And here's why. Most people would argue that in a deadly force situation, anything goes for an officer. If he is about to die, about to get stabbed, whatever it is, shot, if all he has is a chokehold, they're going to let it go. They're going to say, okay, that's fine. Deadly force situation. This is where training comes in. And this is where the legal problem I see down the road. Deadly force situation, I put a choke in. Guy passes out. I continue to choke to the point he dies. My libel? I know he's out. Because of my training, I know he's passed out and I could handcuff him with no issue and he's going to wake back up because I did a blood choke, not an air choke. So now you're going to get these officers out there that aren't trained. One of them's going to get in a deadly force situation. They had the opportunity to learn this stuff and they didn't and they choked and they choked until that person died. And then the defense is going to get some sort of, or prosecutor, we don't know these days, <laughs> prosecutor is going to get up there and say, I've got these experts that tell me. If you had let go at a reasonable time when he was passed out, you should have known that he was passed out and the force is no longer necessary Yeah, because that's how we work. We combat the force. And once that threat is gone, we're supposed to deescalate and, and drop our level of force. So this is where my argument comes in that even though you may not approve chokes to be used unless it's a deadly force situation, I still think you should be trained in it. Because we could save a life. We could save, and I, I get the argument that some will want to make, but I don't want to kill anybody. No. So even if you're trying to shoot me or you're trying to stab me or whatever it is, and I get lucky enough to get in a position where I can choke you out, I'm not going to keep holding the choke until you die. In my head, I just became a murderer because I knew you were out. I knew the threat was gone. And I would hate for another officer to get in that position. They held the choke forever and they thought they were okay. And then they're going to learn. Like, oh, if I had done that much training, I would have known that guy was no longer a threat after a few seconds because literally a, a good blood choke can put you out in about three seconds. Oh, yeah. And uh, you roll them over, you put them in cuffs, and they wake up. By the time they're waking up, they're cuffed. No, I, I completely agree with you on that. I've had that argue, that exact same argument they, that you just brought up. I've had that with people. And, you know, it, it comes to the looks thing, right? It doesn't look good, so... Yeah, it can't be good in the eyes perception. We'll call um, politicians. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we'll call it what it is. But yeah, Missouri here, we just passed a bill here where police officers cannot use a chokehold for controlling unless a deadly force situation is warranted. Is how they did it, right? They, they didn't completely ban it outright like we've seen in some states. But okay, you know what? If it comes to a deadly force, you gotta have every option available and we're not going to restrict you. So deadly force. Yes. Go ahead and use it. Um, yeah. Don't use it just to get somebody in handcuffs or just to control them. And, and you know, what? I, I'll take that, right? I'll, I'll take that over. Hey, you guys can't touch their necks. When we were training in Colorado, we, you know, GST, they go over some of that stuff and mm -hmm. 
they they don't teach you how to choke somebody out. They teach you how to defend against the choke. Right. Right. We play the the, the, other. the end around. Yeah. And there were some techniques that we were learning there that the officers there, they said, we can't use that. And they're like, well, why not? We'll put pressure on their neck. You're just touching it. They're like, nope, touches the neck. Politicians here said, we can't do anything that puts pressure on the neck. Huh. Anyway. Yeah. I'm not a decision maker because if I was, it would be allowed. But I, the thing I like about GST is they're willing to go to court as expert witnesses. But if you do use choke or any other moves and to explain science behind it and stuff like that. And I could make the argument all day why choke should be allowed and it should be, you know, just at the same level as a taser because it's safer at the end of the day to be certified in using a taser than, let's say, using your baton upside somebody's head because that's deadly force. Mm -hmm. The odds of a taser killing somebody is a lot less. The one thing you do have to be careful of is tasing somebody over cement or blacktop or something real hard. That's because they can't catch themselves if they're fully incapacitated. Right. So that's a danger. But I can show you case after case. There are thousands of jujitsu gyms, grappling gyms, MMA, whatever. There's matches. No one has ever died from being choked out, passed out. No one's dying. Because if they were, these gyms, they're little LLCs. They wouldn't even be, a, they would not take that type of liability. The liability of it, yeah. Yeah, they wouldn't be out there. So my argument is make it an intermediate use of force. Make these officers have to get certified in it every six months. Make these officers have to have it done to them so they know what it's like. They know how long the recovery time is on average for people because everybody's a little different. Right. Um, and they know what a body going out feels like. So I they mean, actually, that's a big key piece right there, right? It's, yeah. You have to know what that what that feels like being on right. the giving end, not the receiving end, the giving end of that to yep. understand, okay, now it's my time to make my move to transition. A controlling, well, well let's get yeah. from a, to a controlling position from there, right? Yes. Yep. And that's exactly what it should be used for uh, is getting to a controlling position or, you know, just holding what you got. Yeah. Put the choke in, he goes out or he complies, whatever. Then just sit seatbelt in, hold what you got, wait for your partner to get there if you don't have one. Without the choke actually being there, you're in position, but you're not applying any pressure. So, yes, uh, similar, you know, when I train my guys and we teach them into controlling techniques right, or controlling positions, I will say, you know, we tell them, hey, bad guy, when he's ready to go to jail, you release that, but you don't let it go. You, you keep it there so that he knows I still have control. I'm still here and I can go right back into where I need to until you're ready to go to jail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes just, I'm not, I, I try not to be mis mysterious with these guys. I want them to know exactly what my plan is. Some, most of the time, I should say most of the time, because I'll have a guy, I've had a guy down before I had knee on belly. That was a pressure he'd never felt before. And if those listening don't know what knee on belly is, it's basically I'm driving my knee into your diaphragm. I got my weight over that knee and I've got my other leg. Usually it should be my weapon side away with my foot out for a base. And if you learn how to use that, you can put a lot of pressure down on the diaphragm, make it very uncomfortable. It's not dangerous, but it's very uncomfortable. And all the bad guy is going to be able to focus on is trying to move your knee. So I know where those hands are. He ain't reaching for a weapon. Mm -mm. Hands are right there. And I will work that pressure to my advantage and let him know, hey, you're going to roll over. I'm going to cuff you. That's what's going to happen from here. You're not going to stand up. You're not going to do any of that. If you do, I'm going to jump on top of you and I'm going to soften you up a little bit. <laughs> I'm in the position. 
he knows I'm going to get there. There's nothing he can do about it. Yep. Neon because back. when they're down and they feel that pressure, oh, yeah. I let them know. I'm like, I'm going to start relieving some pressure. The moment you don't do what I tell you, I'm jumping on you. And 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 once they have it in their mind that like he knows what the hell he's talking about, I can feel the control. Like you said, let him know you still got control. But we don't use our words enough. And with body cameras, using our words, we got to learn how to be our own, you know, Morgan Freeman's <laughs> for our our body cameras because it just helps us. I don't. Do I think we should have to? No. But do I think it saves me a lot of headaches in the long run? Yeah. So I will always, you'll hear me. I'm giving a play-by-play while I got a guy. I got his arm. All right, dude. Right now I got you in a, a, you know, an arm bar. I'm going to roll this arm over my leg because I plan on putting a cuff on you. But I ain't getting my cuffs out until I got him in position. Yeah. So that's another big one for officers. Please stop getting your damn cuffs out before you're in a position to cuff. You're preaching, man. If I, you, you know, I guess, you know, I just did some training with my, I teach at a police academy and we just did our controlling from the top position and the position we actually use is neon belly. Yes. That's what I teach them. I tell, Hey guys, we're not going them out. We're not going to side control. There's, there's a lot of bad stuff that can happen there. I want a level of separation. I want to be, keep my eyes up, see what's around me. Yeah. Let's use neon belly to, to control. We teach out of uh, a program called self Strategic self-defense and gunfighting tactics. Johnny Lee, who's our first guest on the podcast. And this is one of the things we get from him. And it's just like you said, is, you know, I have control of this guy. And I tell my guys, hey guys, what do you want to do as soon as bad guy's on the ground? And they're like, cuff him. I'm like, nope, wrong answer. You know, do you have control? And I tell them that, do you have control of him? And they're like, yeah. Why, why are we in a rush, guys? Let bad, let bad guy make the decision. You know what? <laughs> All right, guy, I'm ready to go to jail now. Yeah. Uh, let's hang out till backup comes, right? Police officers are taught, were taught for so long, right? You got to get handcuffs on bad guy quick. That's how you get control of them. I'm willing to argue that against anybody. Yep. I, I can show you, I can keep a lot of control on you with my yeah. handcuffs being in that pouch for a while. Yep. And, and most of us are right-handed. So when we get our cuffs out, now our, our weapons hand is dominated with something else that's occupied. So what so, it is train with your offhand. Yes. I try yeah, to tell everybody concept. <laughs> I try to tell people like if you start learning how to cuff with your non-dominant hand, then you're going to make life a lot easier for yourself in the field. But yeah, get control. Make sure you've got all the control you need to handcuff without an issue because they're either compliant or they're not. Mm-hmm. If you're compliant, then cuffs are going to go on with no issues. If you become non-compliant, I'm not cuffing you standing. You're going to the ground. Either you're going to go there because I made you, or you're going to go there because you realize struggling with me is not going to be worth it because either me and my partner are going to take you down. And my one of my arguments, if you got in a fight with somebody or any sort of struggle, do not cuff alone. You should never cuff alone. I don't ever want to cuff alone if I can help it. But I understand there's some agencies that just don't have the manpower. So sometimes you just gotta you just gotta handle it. You gotta earn your paycheck. Right. And but I'd never cuff alone if you don't have to, especially if there was any sort of resistance. And it could be something as easy as turning away, pulling away. That in my head is a sign. It it probably won't go bad. But now there's a chance because normal people don't do this. This is not normal behavior. Yeah. So a safety issue for officers out there listening. 
they do any telltale sign like that, they are no longer an option to cuff alone. Don't try. Just control them. If you have to sit there for 20 minutes while you wait for backup to get there, sit there for 20 minutes. Have a conversation with them while you're sitting in a position of control. Because I guarantee the moment that metal hits their arm, it's going to be back on. Yeah. No, man, I, so, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I'm a, I am a big fan of, I don't need to sit here and fight with this guy. If I'm, here's my view. Here's what I tell my guys. If you find yourself on the ground in a bad spot, you have no business trying to control this guy anymore. Get to your tool belt, create distance and control them utilizing the tools that you have. Right. Yeah. Yeah, if you now, you know, if you have control of them, you know, hey, keep control of them. Like, you know, like you said, you know, what what's 20 minutes to get cuffs on and wait for somebody to both you guys get home safe, right? Bad guy goes to jail and you get to go home with, you know, very minimal injury to yourself. Now, somewhere I'm at, but when I was with the sheriff's department, I mean, it could take 30 minutes for backup to get there to me. And again, that's where the communication part goes to letting bad guy know, hey, I have no options other than to go to something a lot stronger than just my hands and feet. Mm -hmm. So we're going to sit here and we're going to wait because if not, you're not going to like the other options It makes them think. Make sure your body camera is going for spontaneous statements too. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Like I said, I love body cameras. I am such a huge fan of body cameras. So let's jump into, no, I don't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, no, no. I want to go down the body cam train. Yeah, yeah. But what I do want to go back to is something we started talking about earlier where you said about police officers not training because I can get hurt in training and it's going to affect my job and then I'm going to be put off of work. And yeah, that's a big one. Let's think about that, guys. Right. If I don't train, I'm not going to train because I can get hurt, but I'm going to go out there and fight with these people and not not because I want to fight with them because they're forcing me to. Without the training, so my liability and my chances of getting hurt are higher than if I were to train in a controlled environment by a instructor who knows what he's doing that minimizes risk and injury to train me. Yep. About that. And of all the arts, jujitsu is probably the most gentle way you can train and keep training. Because I promise, I boxed. You go out and box, <laughs> you can get hurt. Yeah. I mean, and, and they, that could be against nobody. I'll have my hands wrapped. I'll punch a bag. I'll do 10 rounds, you know, two, three minute rounds with a minute in between because I'm not an animal. <laughs> I don't know. I've got a lot of cardio. And I say 10 rounds, I usually make it about six really good rounds. And then after that, I'm just going through the motions. <laughs> but let's move shadow boxing now, guys. It, yeah. And, but <laughs> my hand's going to get hurt. It, it happens. You, you get tired, you get fatigued, you punch wrong. And next thing you know, you got a boxer fracture, something like that. You go do Muay Thai. I'm a huge fan of Muay Thai because it involves the elbows. And everything we do as police officers is short-ranged. So elbows are huge and very underutilized. Very good distraction strike. So I like Muay Thai. I love kickboxing, American kickboxing. I love, it's another good one. I can't blanking on what I just had in my mind. Not Taekwondo. Dang it. Iceman Chuck Liddell, he did that art. I can't, Kempo. That's what I was thinking. Kempo's great. That Russian Sambo. Sambo's amazing. Sambo's another. I just, I just started looking into that a little bit. So all of these arts are great. However, nothing is going, your chances of returning to do it the very next day are a lot lower because 
it's more taxing on the body, especially if you get caught because we're talking strikes, right? Jiu-jitsu is no strikes. Jiu-jitsu is no strikes. It's all just manipulation and flow, kind of like Tai Chi, but Tai Chi don't work. So that's not, a, it's a, it's beautiful. It's great exercise, but it is not going to help you in police work. I'll put yeah. it that way. Now I will argue, and I don't even know that it's an argue, but police officers do need to train in striking to, yes. to a level, right? Sure. The again, that strategic self defense and gunfighting tactics part of the curriculum in there is a block on strikes. And absolutely, I, w- I was teaching at the police academy that I work at, and somebody walked in and they're like, Why are cops in a fighting stance and, and punching? It doesn't look good. And I said, Well, let's talk about it. Right? Let's, let's I, I have to fight. Uh huh. <laughs> I said, You know, have you ever tried? To control some, to control a bad guy, and maybe you needed to move a little bit more. Maybe you needed to get out. Let, you know, let's say bad guys on top of you. Right? Bad guys in that mounted position on top of you, and you find yourself on the bottom, and you're trying. I mean, you're mushing them and you're shoving them, and you can't get out. Well, what if I showed you how to throw an elbow? What if I showed you how to throw a hammer fist, and that gave you just enough distraction to get out and get away from bad guy or get on top? That's why we call them distraction strikes. That is why we need to learn to strike. Yep. I tell the way I preach it is use your fists, use your elbows, use your feet while you're standing. The moment it goes to the ground, open hand. I I like open hand even standing personally because just the dynamics of a real world fight, I don't want to make my hands in up. And anytime you punch a skull, take a big risk of making your hands go in up. So... I like open hand techniques, especially on a grounded subject, because the most common injury to an officer in a grounded subject, it isn't, it isn't because of, you know, the fight itself. It's because they swung and missed and hit the ground. They skipped off the forehead or they hit the forehead, which please stop punching people in the forehead. It's the worst spot. And officers have broken hands at the end of the fight. So let's end this piece uh, on this one, and then let's record a part two if if you're good with that. Hey, I'm down. Keep going. I got I got the families coming, and we gotta okay run out to go run some errands. But okay. let's end it with this with punching because you brought up something, and I totally agree with you. And police officers should not punch suspects in the human head with a fist. Yeah, because you break your hand, you lose control of your gun. I'm okay yep. with Palm Hill. I'm okay with the elbow. Yep. I love an elbow. Guys, never, ever punch the human yep. head. I get it. Instinct takes over. Yeah, and you know, and it goes back to training, right? Yeah. That's what it goes back to. You have to, and this is where it goes back into jujitsu, is you have to be able, you have to train for what your job is first and be good yes. at that. And make that your main thing. And then make the sports stuff secondary. Then yeah. that stuff will fit in. Yep. No, I agree. And the more you do the job, the easier it is to mold your jujitsu game towards what you do. And I've always had that mindset. I try not to sit on my butt, start scooting towards anybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm always going to play the top game if I can play the top game. So, right. Yeah. Hey, man. I think we got a lot of other good stuff to talk to. Oh, I can go for days, bro. Oh, man. Hey, guys, listen <laughs> out for part two. We're going to get back together. We're going to talk some more. Okay. And I think we got some good conversations going here. Yeah. Tell all your peeps, man. Two cops, one donut. <laughs>
Check us out. We're on everything. YouTube. Check them out. They're, Spotify, all that good stuff. Uh, you guys just released uh, was Sergeant Anderson. Was that his name? Yep. Sergeant Bruce Anderson is a good episode. That guys, um, I, I started listening to it. Great podcast. Good. Man, good learning. Good points. Yeah. It's a good first episode. If you're going to watch any of our episodes, that's the number one. And I'm only 45 minutes in of, of it. So. Two and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> they got long. Uh, yeah. Eric, I always end with this, and I always want to remind everybody out there to get out there and make yourself better, be better for yourself, be better for your family, be better for your friends, and especially get out there and be better for those that you encounter daily in your job. That's it for this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to subscribe and share with a friend so you never miss an episode of Force Multiplier for law enforcement. Another way that can help us grow and reach more listeners and agencies is by leaving us a review. They are read and the feedback is taken on how to make this podcast even better to reach our community and different law enforcement agencies. 